Hello and welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. Simone de Rochefort is doing uh, tech stuff for her play. So uh, the role of a moderator is uh, held by me, Christina Warren, and I'm joined as always. I'm a senior cloud advocate at Microsoft, and I'm joined as always by Brianna Wu, Democratic candidate for Congress. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace and ExpressVPN. Uh, Bree, how are you doing? I am awesome. We have a really amazing show this week. We we do. Oh my god, it's so good. I'm so excited. I think they call it a get in broadcasting. Is that what this is? This is definitely a get. This is definitely okay. a get. So, uh, frequent listeners of the show know that we are obsessed with scams and that we have followed the Anna Delby uh, fake uh, heiress saga extensively. Well, we have an interview with uh, Rachel Deloach Williams, who uh, was scammed by Anna and wrote a book about it called My Friend Anna. That you're going to listen to that um, I thought was really good. Like, yeah, she's awesome. And and my perception about the whole scenario really changed after reading her book. And so I, uh, if, if you're into scams and you enjoy Rocket Scam Town, um, highly uh, recommend listening uh, to that interview. Um, but we've also got some other tech news. Uh, it's a big mobile week. So uh, Android 10 is available, was formerly known as Android Q. And next week is the big uh, uh, Apple event. And so uh, we are, we're getting like last minute Apple rumors. So um, uh, let's, uh, let's just get into I'm it. I'm excited about, do we want to do Apple or Android first? Let's start with the Android. Yeah, let's start with Android. Let's switch it up. Uh, Android is growing up, Christina. They've gone around away from candy names, and they're now getting a, uh, a nice professional adult mainstream tech name to their operating system. That makes system. me so sad. Really? Yes. I love I love the code names like and honestly it's one of those things I still love about um, uh, Mac OS uh, formerly known as as OS 10 formerly known as Mac OS 10 um, you know I, they had the big cat names now they have the California city names I love stuff like that so um, <laughs> apparently they couldn't come up with a dessert that you know started with a Q I still think quiche would have been fine because you could have a dessert quiche I think. Um, but, uh, maybe you couldn't, but I, I assume you could, but, um, yeah, it is Android 10. You know what I think it is? Sometimes I would like see the name of it and it would be the name of a, a, a dessert or a candy I don't like. And gotcha. like part of my brain would be like, I don't need this update. I don't want this update. I'm going to stick with, I'm going to stick with the candy I like, which is completely nonsensical, but that's how my brain works. No, this is true. This is true. So yeah, um, uh, the Pixel devices are starting to get uh, the update now. Uh, other Android manufacturers, your mileage may vary because it's Android and, and that's how that works. Interesting. The Essential Phone, which we have not I talked know. about. <laughs> I forgot the still happened a thing. With it. Yeah. Well, right, because they basically are out of business because, you know, Andy Rubin. Um, but even though the follow-up phone was apparently canceled, basically two years later, you know what? Snaps and props to Essential because it already has the update. It already has the Android 10 update. Like today, as we record this, is the day that it launched. The update's available. This is a phone that like seven people own. Right. I love it because there's some engineer that's working there. Right. And like, you know, it's like the post-Theranos crash era completely, for Essential. Completely. It's like one person in a building and he, he they, he, she, whatever, they right. got it out on time. And I just love that. I do too. This person is going through the code, is making sure that the, the drivers are aligning, is doing all the upstream changes, is shipping it out. Like, I'm sure that it's like, even though they've, you know, kept things really stock, it is not a small process. They've gone through the whole build and repackaging process, pushed push the update out before a lot of Google-owned devices even have it, I might add. And like you said, I'm sure it's one engineer who's basically left kind of like, you know, mining the, the shop at this point. So, it's one of those things that I have to be like, Samsung, like, what are you doing? Like, if, if Essential, and I, I get it, again, Samsung customizes their OS, I get it. But like, if Essential can do this, then like, what is, what is Samsung's excuse? I know. They need to snatch this guy up. He's lonely. He needs he friends. Like he someone does. out there at Motorola or, you know, uh, you know, Huawei or someone snatch up this, this person. They, for need, real. they need friends. Yeah, for real. Oh my gosh. Uh, no, that's good. Um, uh, other random Android news before we move to, uh, cause I don't think I, I don't know. I don't have an Android device right now, so I'm not going to be able to use this. 
I, I have a couple on my campaign. Uh, so the big news is they're getting rid of the back button. They right, are completely uh, moving to a gesture system. Yep, and just like the I mean, iPhone some, 10. Yeah, uh, you know, like the multitask is go up and hold, uh, very similar to iOS. Uh, you know, it's getting dark mode. That's good. Uh, there's more permission settings. Um, but the thing I'm really excited about is there seems to be embedded in the code a lot more support for foldable phones. And I am here for the foldable future. I don't know how you feel. Well, I mean, look, obviously we were burned by Samsung once, so I'm I'm feeling weird saying this, but news also broke today that apparently the the, the Galaxy Fold will probably never come out um, (laughs) because, you know, we were so excited about it. That's the ultimate rocket rule store. We were so excited. And then like, literally the day after we published all the uh, review units started breaking. Um, So the Galaxy Fold will probably never come out, but apparently Samsung is now working on a device that will like fold up like a pocket square. Yeah. This I'm into. I mean, it's weird. So I'm into it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'll definitely. But this makes more sense to me. Like the, the tablet phone thing that did make some sense, but I think that, the way you had to view the Galaxy Fold and even like the the whatever the Huawei one is, like would be as um, a tablet first that maybe as a secondary thing you could fold and use as a phone. It feels like if, if what I'm reading with the rumors are correct is that this would be like a, a phone that you would just be able to fold to, you know, easily put in your pocket, which I kind of love. Yeah. I mean, look, from uh, from my selfish point of view, Christian, this is win, win, win for Rocket. It may be bad for Samsung and for Android, but for us, it's like, if this uh, device comes out, it's a total success. We win. We get to gloat and enjoy a whole new gadget. If it bombs, that's almost better for the show, right? So uh, Completely. Completely. So yeah, so um, listeners who use Android, uh, let us know if you were able to get 10. Otherwise, it'll be a while, I think, before it it delves to uh, probably the devices you have in your campaign. And I mostly, I have a bunch of Android tablets around my house, but I don't know if any of them will get 10. You bought an Android tablet? (laughs) No, but Grant has like five of them. And also, well, well, this is why, because I used to be a tech reviewer and I have like old stuff. Like I, I have more <laughs> gadgets than God. Like we were going through stuff. We literally, I always say on, on Twitter, I was like, I have every set top box ever made. And people think that I'm, I'm like joking. No, I like legit do. Um, we, we even find ones, like we found an old Roku the other day. Um, and, and Graham was like, we have so many fire TV sticks. We have so many Chromecasts. We have so many of this. I'm like, I know I'm, I'm fully aware we have everything. So, um, we it sounds like he's trying to gadget shame you. To be uh, honest with that, yeah, you should a have a bit. marriage discussion. Well, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> he, got, he gadget shames me, yet I'm the reason that he has things to play with. So, yeah, you know it, that that's yeah. how it works. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, this episode of Rocket is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace. Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next idea. And so with a unique domain, award-winning templates, and more. So maybe you want to create an online store for your foldable phone because foldable pocket square cases might be a thing. Who knows? Maybe you want to create a portfolio of really beautiful, you know, photographs of your, your portable phone or of your foldable uh, phone uh, pocket squares. Uh, maybe you want to have a blog because who doesn't want to have a blog about their foldable phone? Well, Squarespace is an all-in-one platform that lets you do just that. So there's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades needed. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Squarespace has it covered. And they also have award-winning 24-7 customer support. So if you need any help, they're there to help you out. And they let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name. And all those award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas for uh, foldable uh, phone pocket square cases. And so um, (laughs) Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com slash rocket. And when you decide to sign up, uh, use their offer code rocket to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain and show your support for rocket. Um, so that's once again, that's squarespace.com slash rocket and then use the code rocket to get 10% off your first purchase. And, and we thank Squarespace for all their support of this show and all of Relay FM. And Simone's not here to talk about her website that she loves to redo all the time. But I actually just recently renewed my Squarespace account for a podcast that I haven't even had active in years. And the reason I renewed it was because I might just switch it to a different domain and like have another, you know, weird, like I might start something else with it. It was just 
one of those things. I really like the Squarespace platform. I like being able to play with it, support our sponsors, and see what's going on. And uh, they do make it really easy. I'm going through a, a process with a different CMS of trying to convert an old site into something that's uh, an archive and it's a whole pain. And, and I'm like, you know what? This is why um, when people ask me what they should do if they just want to easy to build and, and maintain website, I'm like, you should you should go to Squarespace. So yeah, it's an easy sell. We definitely. Should, we should find out if Scamtown is available Ooh. for Squarespace. We should find that out. We should. That that's that's a really really good idea. Thank you, Squarespace. Okay, Rocket listeners, it's Christina here making a little bit of an edit, post-production edit for you here to hear. Our interview with Rachel Williams, the author of the book, My Friend Anna, was so good, and it went on for a really long time. So what we've actually done is we've split it into two parts. So this is the first part of our interview with Rachel, and the second part will be airing next week. Frequent Rocket listeners will know that we're a little bit obsessed with scams. From Theranos to MoviePass to Fire Festival, we frequently comment on, and I would even say that we delight in covering scams and scamsters. One of the subjects we've spoken about repeatedly is Anna Delvey. Delvey, whose real name is Anna Sorokin, pretended to be a German heiress. She's actually Russian, and she grifted New York City hotels and her associates out of hundreds of thousands of dollars. She was convicted on several counts of attempted grand larceny earlier this year and sentenced to four to 12 years in prison. Now, if you know about Delvey, it's probably because of Jessica Pressler's amazing 2018 New York Magazine cover story about her rise and fall. And Shonda Rhimes is working on a show about Delvey based on Pressler's article for Netflix. Now, I believe we, and by we, I almost certainly mean me because I do recall both Simone and possibly Brie protesting called Delvey the, quote, patron saint of Rocket in our year-end <laughs> show last December. Uh, there was just something fascinating about a nobody who was successfully able to convince New York City, both businesses and regular people, that she was rich. But one person who almost certainly does not share in our delight or kind of the cultural collective delight over Delvey and her crimes is Rachel Deloche-Williams, one of Anna's former friends and one of the biggest victims of Anna's deception. Uh, The TLDR is that Delvey invited Williams on an all-expense-paid vacation in Marrakesh, but then when it came time to pay, uh, Anna couldn't come up with the money and convinced Williams to put down her own credit card, promising to pay her back. And the bill was like $63,000 more than Williams made in an entire year, and Delvey then never paid her back. And in fact, Rachel's friend Anna wasn't rich at all. And this theft is what wound up leading to Anna's arrest. Williams, a former photo editor for Vanity Fair, wrote about her experiences with Delvey and the impact the crime has had on her life in her book, My Friend Anna. And in true Fire Festival fashion, one Anna Delvey TV show isn't enough, and HBO and Lena Dunham have optioned Rachel's story. And Rachel is here with us today to talk about her book and Anna. Rachel, thank you so much much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. That was a great introduction. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I know that was really long, but I wanted to try to kind of give people context. Was there anything that I missed or misconstrued before we continue? No, not a bit. I feel like I just relived the past few <laughs> <No>. years. <laughs> uh, well, in, in a, a, a bearable way, not in, a, <laughs> not in so, the way I experienced it the first time through. <laughs> so I want to tell you, and we when we were trying to book you for the show, this is so true. All three of us, like usually when we bring an author onto the show, one of us has read the book. All three of us yes. just became obsessed with this book. Oh. I'm running for freaking Congress, <laughs> and I am driving around <laughs> to different events. I've got my whole staff in my car, and they're oh. listening to your book as we're driving from event to event in Massachusetts. That's so nice. And it's dudes, and they don't get, they don't care about this. <laughs> I'm like, I'm the candidate. You're going to listen That's- to this, and you're going to like it. So good candidate, you got my vote. <laughs> if I lived in Massachusetts, you know, my dad, my dad was running for Congress. Part, while I went through part of this experience. Oh, really? Um, yeah. And as a Democrat in Tennessee, uh, he's a mental health care professional. So it was a curveball. <laughs> and it was his first time running for a, cup, for a public office. But I got to see the inside of a, a congressional campaign. It's um, exhausting work. <laughs> I, I grew up in Mississippi and uh, Christina grew up next door to you as well. So. Yeah, I grew up in Atlanta. Amazing. So I knew it. 
took an instant shine to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, um, I mean, I guess I want to start about the book. It, it really opens with your friendship with, uh, with Anna. And, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm older than you and Christina. I'm 42. And I, it, 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 it really felt like a, 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 it starts being a genuine millennial friendship. I mean, you're going to like this uptown, like detox bar where you're being irradiated from the inside and yeah. drinking wine, riding around, listening to, uh, you know, listening to hip hop music, doing all of sure. this. Uh, yeah. and then it takes this really dark turn and anyone that read the, uh, you know, read the media coverage about this knew about the hotel and the horror there. But what I found so compelling about your book was, you, you kind of go from this friendship into seeing like how deeply uncomfortable it is to see like security guards like posted in your hotel room trying to intimidate you into paying and Anna just being deliberately oblivious. I mean, I, I already know what it was like because I read the book. But tell our <laughs> listeners, what was that like? Yeah, I think in, in Manhattan in the in the place where we both lived for a time, you know, her sort of spontaneous spontaneity and impulsiveness, the weight and, and the risk seemed much lighter. And, and I didn't realize how deep that sort of risk taking went until all of a sudden we were in Marrakesh and she had very little concern for, you know, safety and, and authority in, in a very different setting. And it felt much, much more serious. And, you know, over the course of the week that, it, that pressure and intensity and tension intensified, um, until my last full day in Marrakesh when these managers appeared in the villa and wouldn't leave without a, wouldn't leave without a functioning credit card. Um, and yeah, it, it, that's when I, you know, I realized, you know what, this person actually isn't someone, you know, it, it was a culmination of things, but over the course of that time, I certainly realized this friendship was fun, but this isn't a person who shares my values or shares my outlook on safety or, or <laughs> worldview or, or so many different things. I, you know, it's not that I recognized her as an imposter at that stage, but I saw in the friendship that this is a person I want to take a big step back from. Yeah. For so, sure. so let me ask you about that because this is the question that I had. I had it when I read your Vanity Fair article. I had it when I read the the New York um, Magazine article. I had it reading your book and you, you've answered it a little bit, but I, but I have, I, I, I can't stop fixating on this. Talk me through the credit card issue, like what it was that like got you to pull out your, not just your personal Amex, but your corporate Amex and hand that over. Was it just like, the, sure. was it the fear? Was it, you believed her? Like, talk me through that. Cause that's the whole thing. Sure. When I'm trying to imagine myself in this situation, I'm like, I don't think I would ever do that. Or at least I hope, but talk me yeah. through like what that was like. Part of the way that cons works, it, like con confidence, uh, tricks work, I think, is it's it's a culmination of things. You know, I've started with one, not a small thing, but one thing I could wrap my head around, which was booking the flights, which was a manageable amount of money for me to front. But it starts there and then it's a little bit more and a little bit more. And it's kind of like you don't realize how deep you're in when you're in it until you step out of it later and you're like, oh my God, how did this happen? The hotel, the way that unfolded specifically was very... Um, different, I'd say, from the money I fronted outside of the hotel, you know, for captains in the marketplace or for the flights where it added up to a significant amount of money, but something I had agreed to, to some extent, not realizing, obviously, that she wasn't going to wire me the money as she promised. The hotel itself, you know, firstly, I had no idea that I had that high of a credit limit. That mm -hmm. was a shock to me, too. <laughs> I, you know, I saw all those people saying, like, well, how did this girl, like, well, you had an American Express. <laughs> was, a lot of yeah. people don't know that it's so, a charge card, not a credit card. And usually exactly. there's not a limit. Right, exactly. right. Correct. It's a soft spending limit. They track your spending patterns. Responsible lending, a group I didn't know existed until this experience, flags your account if you go outside of your regular spending patterns. When That morning when I woke up, it was, it was a Thursday. It was my last full day in Marrakesh. It was the perfect storm. It was like the trainer was sick and needed to go home. Everybody was relying on me to figure everything out, which I can't you know, totally blame them. I had kind of thrust myself into this involunt involuntary producer position because it's what I in my nature, you know, I, mm -hmm. I feel that I am often a caretaker. Plus it was my job. 
Um, another thing I think that made me vulnerable is the fact that I was a photo producer and I was so used to operating under stress and to putting out fires and to making sure everybody else had what they needed. So it actually made me, I think, vulnerable in some ways to the situation, sort of getting pulled in and, and taking it upon myself, although I didn't see a way out of it. Um, but I also think that's a, the same skill set, you know, the problem solving, the looking for creative solutions, the um, stress under pressure or sorry, grace under pressure, sort of having to, to think quickly is part of how I got out of it as well. But anyway, I was told that the, the credit card they needed to have on file, these two managers who were not leaving without a credit card, I was told that they needed it for a temporary hold, which a hotel is supposed to have before you check in. You know, when you get right. into a hotel, they have a hotel, a, a credit card on file so that they can authorize whatever incidentals, blah, blah, blah. That, like, that's what they were missing. So I was told this credit card is just going to be on file until Miss Delvey settles the balance, which she'll have to do. And she will need to settle the full balance when she checks out. She was leaving after me the following day. So I felt kind of like I had a safety net because I had an earlier flight, you know, at the first thing in the morning. So I thought, you know, worst case scenario, I'll be gone before her. She can't turn to me to fix this if I'm already right. gone. When in, right. when in actuality, what probably happened is that she was able to convince them well, you have yes. a credit card on file. You can exactly. just use that. Um, so it right. ended up like you thought like, okay, she can't screw me. But in, in actuality, right. she did. Let me, um, uh, I got the sense reading your book that basically from the minute you handed over that card, your anxiety kind of uh, started and, and, and that you started to kind of worry about that a lot. You wrote a lot about the ridiculous excuses that she offered over the, the coming days and weeks. When did it start to sink in that you were in like really deep and that she might not be paying you back, or I guess like more to the point, when did it occur to you that she might not be able to pay you back? It took a painfully long time. I think probably there are other people who would have figured that part out faster. I think part of the reason why it took me so long, it took me to answer your question directly. I think it took me like maybe a month, a a month um, until I was really questioning whether or not she could access the the money at that point, I wasn't questioning that she was who she said she was. Cause I really believed that for, uh, I'd say two months because I, she was so consistent in her storytelling that whatever I hadn't heard from her directly, I had heard from other people. And I, I, you know, I had gone out of, I had picked out the people who I'd met her through and sat them down and said, what do you know about this person? Where did she come from? How did she get these internships? Who does she know? Where, like, how do we know anything about her? But everybody said the same story back to me because she had told the same story to so many people. And, it, and as, I think especially hearing it from somebody who was from Germany and, and mm-hmm. said that he knew her family, that was a wrench that stuck in my gears for the longest, you know, because I, I kept falling back on that as, as, proof that, well, it can't be that because this, you know, um, Rachel, if you don't mind me saying like so much of your book is I feel, I just want to be like big sister here. Like as I'm reading your book and you're so hard on yourself in the book, you're like, Oh, I should have known sooner. And even on our show, I want to (laughs) tell you, I I think you should cut yourself. Yes, seriously. You were being, (laughs) you're being operated by a professional scam artist that pulled one over on banking institutions. Mm-hmm. Like totally you should, right. <laughs> you should really cut yourself a break. I think, I uh-huh. think I consider myself a pretty savvy person and yeah. I think I probably would have fallen for this too, as other people did. So oh, yeah, I just, I, I don't know. I guess my message to you is like, you shouldn't question yourself in your judgment. And to me, one of the most delightful parts of the book is, uh, you're, you have a, you have a trusting, caring nature that comes through in this book. And it's beautiful to see. And I just want to tell you, I hope that this grifter didn't steal this from you because it's, it's a part of you that really shines here. And I, I want to encourage you not to lose that. That's very nice of you. And I appreciate it. And I thank you for saying that. I, you know, I, I think it's important for me to look at this unflinchingly. And I think I have erred on the side of critical in order to explore it fully. That said, I also understand Anna was a sociopath. Mm -hmm. She's very good at what she did. She's very convincing. And like you said, you're right. She was fooling these institutions that have systems in place to prevent fraud. And still she got away with it. So 
in a social setting, yeah, I agree. I understand, you know. I mean, the fact that that she was able to check into this resort without having a credit card on file. Like, you and can, have. you know, <laughs> like, you can kind of understand. I mean, I so I travel a lot for work. And this this past year, I've done, like, I don't know, I think I've done, like, 170,000 um, uh, miles since January or something. And so I do a lot of international travel. And I obviously haven't stayed in places as nice as where you were. Um but I, I can't even imagine like being at the desk and being like, oh, yeah, uh, I don't have a credit card to give you on file. Um, so the fact that she was able to kind of do that thing, Bree is exactly right. Like, I, I love that you're being so um, like unflinchingly like honest and self-aware about this. But Bree's totally right. You don't need to, to beat yourself up over this. But I, I did want to ask you this, like what attracted you to Anna? Because you mentioned that, you know, she was really good at what she did. But what I think personally I find really fascinating about this whole story is that at least to me, based on what I read, and 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 obviously I, I've never met her, but she's not the archetype con artist. Like she doesn't have this awesome personality that just pulls people in. Like she didn't come across as larger than life, or even really that charismatic. She she seemed and kind of looked fairly average. Um, and reading the book, and even reading um, the the New York Magazine piece that interviewed her, she didn't strike me as that likable. So what was it about her that pulled you in? Because obviously by the time you were in Marrakesh, your opinion had changed. But what was it yeah. before that that about her that, that pulled you in? Yeah, that's a, it's a really good question. And it's actually, when I was writing the book, I had to remind myself, wait, you liked her. I did <laughs> like her. And I had to go back and like, figure out like, what was it? You know? And, and I think there is actually a mischaracterization to some small extent where people think I was hanging out with her because she pretended to have money, which sure. definitely sure. wasn't it. Like we spent every day in her hotel. That's not interesting or fun. It wasn't this new splashy world. I worked at Vanity Fair. You know, I got right. to go to like Oscar parties. Like I had a really nice, um, rich, you know, I mean, rich in, in the term, like meaning like varied, fun, interesting life outside of her. The thing is, I just liked her. Um, I liked her spontaneity. I liked her, you know, she was very fun loving. She was, I liked kind of, she had like a mischievous bent. I didn't know how deep it went, mm-hmm. uh, but I, she certainly challenged, you know, I was so overly concerned with what people thought of me and with, you know, manners and, and, you know, being over concerned about everybody else's happiness. And she kind of had this boldness to her that, you know, was so different than me, but I also was just kind of transfixed by it. Um, and, and I do, th- I agree with you that when you look at her behavior on paper, a lot of it's really kind of deplorable and you question whether or not anybody want to would have wanted to spend time with her, but she did actually have a charisma to her. The way that she carried herself and pulled it off somehow, even like in court where everybody was kind of mystified by her, like oh, what yeah. is this girl doing? It was that same thing, just on a different scale back then. Now, the people that you were friends with, um, who you met her with, like they had fallen out with her before she came back. So you, you met her in New York and then she left and then she came back like the next year. And that's when you really got close. Did you ever like when you talked to the people that you met her through, did you ever find out, um, you know, what had gone on and, and did that give you any, like in high, obviously in hindsight, you can see a million things, but were any of their concerns things that maybe for whatever reason you didn't pick up on or, or did they fall out with her for like completely nonsensical reasons related to any of the scam stuff? It's, it's funny, you know, I think everything kind of relates to the scam stuff, but it's all because it centers on her being, I think, a sociopath and not having empathy for other people. So the reason they fell out had to do with her insensitivity. Um, gotcha. You know, it actually wasn't financial, but it had to do with uh, Anna delivering a piece of really painful information to one of the one of my friends. Um, and she delivered it as though it was like a juicy piece of gossip when it actually caused this girl a lot of pain. Um, and Anna's inability to understand how somebody else might feel receiving that news was the reason they all took a step back. Uh, I didn't step back and, you know, I understood that, but I, Anna was also very good at figuring out what made other people tick. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I am an older sister. I, I do like to sort of like help other people. It's just in my nature. And I think she played off of that. And she kind of told me the story as though she wanted my advice on getting different perspective or like, you know, that she needed help and understanding what she'd done wrong, that she seemed a little sad that she had isolated herself. So she really played off that uh, sort of pity in me to, to sort of stay, to stick around and to try and be a good friend for her. Yeah. I mean, I, I think my very favorite part of the book is, and people, by the way, you should absolutely go buy this and read it is the showdown 
that you have an entire <laughs> army of women that yes. have been screwed over by Anna have, and you had your iPhone going, and you have a line-by-line transcript of it, and it is the most painful-slash-glorious chapter yeah. of your book. As you go by it line-by-line, <laughs> people calling her on yeah. her BS, and it is glorious, and she still <laughs> won't drop the act, and you're like, Anna, we know you have a secret. Just let it out. And it is like, we've all been there in that like angry girl tornado situation. (laughs) Just tell us the truth. Oh, Oh my gosh. So did you go through and just like, like you listened to it and transcribed it out and just added literary context around that? How did that? Oh God, no, this, it's the same. I mean, yes and no, the same with the whole book. If, if I put in every line of that conversation, if I put in every text (laughs) message, nobody would read that book. It was way too painful. It is way too, you would throw my book on the floor and somebody would have like killed Anna by now. Like, it's, just, it's terrible. So but that's I, the I, point as you're like uh, going deeper into it and you're trying to get your money back to her. Yeah. And she's her, still like holding on to this, you know, like, yeah. yeah, she's, she's like, like to the end, I have to kind of give her credit. I mean, as you said, she's a sociopath, but she's just like unrolling. And she's like, no, that's not true. And you're like, no, I, I like have, Proof. And she's like, no, like you've literally said that to me face backwards 10 times. Like I, like, it, she, you know, the thing I like, I think of Anna is untethered, you know, like she believes her own lies and she has nothing weighing her down to reality or to morality. She can just sort of do whatever she wants unencumbered by normal human concerns for other people or for like conscience. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but that's but that's as it goes into the book, and you're you're trying to get her. You're like, "Where's my money? Where's my money?" (laughs) Yeah, and and she's on a plane in the background. Yeah, oh yeah, my bank. There's a problem with this. There's a problem with that. She trots it out. Yeah, literally yelling at the book. I'm like, just give Rachel her damn money. Hey, listeners, it's Christina again. I just wanted to let you know that that concludes the first part of our interview with Rachel Williams, author of My Friend Anna. The second part will be airing next week, like I said. Now, uh, we recorded this a little bit out of order, so we are now going to our final topic, which is Apple rumors. This is why the transition might be weird right after this ad break. This episode of Rocket is brought to you by ExpressVPN. And you might think that nobody wants your online data or to snoop on you, but when you browse the web without anything to protect your privacy, you risk hackers and companies and ad companies and more collecting your data. And it does happen to people like us, whether you are a podcast host or a podcast listener or just somebody who's even tangentially kind of associated with, with technology. And this is why uh, we recommend ExpressVPN. So ExpressVPN runs in the background of your computer or your phone, and it encrypts your data and it hides your public IP address. So you just download the app to connect and then you are protected. And ExpressVPN has been rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar. And it uses new cutting edge technology called Trusted Server to make sure that there are no logs of what you do online. Because this is one of the things that we don't talk about when we talk about VPN services, which is that sometimes there are logs that the VPN services have, which kind of defeats the whole purpose of using a VPN anyway. Um, And so ExpressVPN uses trusted server to make sure that there aren't any logs of you. And it costs less than $7 a month, and it comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Um, I've used ExpressVPN not just for privacy reasons, but to access stuff when I'm in other countries. And it's really good, too, if you travel a lot, because using public Wi-Fi in the airport is a bad idea, whether you're in the United States or if you are in another country where they might be monitoring everything you do. So having that on your phone or on your laptop, if you're in a hotel or if you're in a public place or, or whatever the case may be, is really good. And uh, so I, I, I really like uh, ExpressVPN. It's easy to set up and use. And you can protect your online activity today. And you can find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash rocket. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash rocket for three months free with a one-year package. Take back your online privacy, ExpressVPN vpn.com slash rocket. Our thanks to ExpressVPN for their support of Rocket and all of Relay FM. 
Okay, so this uh, this next topic with all the Apple news coming out, we've got a really big event next week. What's I, Christina? Have you seen this? Usually, the Apple uh, invitation cards have a hint about it. Yes, I've I've been campaigning. What are the What are the cards this year? Well, okay, so it's weird. So it's it's it was a it was a weird kind of card. I think where they kind of had like a hidden invitation thing, and then the only thing I really noticed, it kind of looks um, like the swirling Apple motif is that there's purple. Like there aren't six colors. Um, it's not the typical Apple logo colors. It's it's a it's a different type of thing. And so I don't know if that implies we might be getting maybe some some colorways for you know the whatever the 10R successor is um, or or what. But uh, but that's happening. Um, the other there are like last minute rumors. Um, apparently like a sleep tracking mode is going to be coming to the Apple Watch, and then the idea would be that you could have your two Apple, if you are the type of person who has two Apple watches, you could have one that you sleep with as your sleep watch. And then one is like your regular watch. Now this is ridiculous, but this might actually, no, it's not. It's a great idea. It is. And here, well, this is the ridiculous part. So I bought an Apple watch for last year with my fitness credit. And I had an Apple watch three that I was going to sell to Simone, but never did. And it's been sitting in its box doing nothing. If this comes to fruition, I think my Apple Watch Series 3 is going to become my sleep watch. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing for me. Do you use AutoSleep, which is just a fantastic app? Do you I use do. that at all? I do. So I I love slash hate this app because it's like one of these things where uh, I suffer from insomnia. I do and too. I, I, I don't give good speeches. Like I have a I have a career where I'm really expected to be public all the time. So sleep tracking is really, really important to me. Um, and I love auto sleep because it it kind of gives you a hard stat, which could be counterproductive because yes. there's some days I'm like, oh, I feel pretty good. And then you look at your watch, you're like, four hours of sleep. Oh no. Um, but the problem is it drains the battery. Like I find every single night I'm like trying to charge my Apple Watch just to enough to exactly, get to Exactly, to get bed. through the whole day, right? Yeah. You've got to do this weird trade-off where, okay, if you sleep with your Apple Watch, then when you wake up in the morning, like when you go in the shower or whatever, you've got to put it on the charger and then yep. hope that it, it gets in and, and, you know, then put it on and whatnot. And I mean, that's fine. Um, it's really obviously, not. <laughs> well, look, the ideal would be, I mean, right, but, but it's just like, we would, we want to live in a world. This is why Fitbit, I think, is so great. This has been the one thing. And Fitbit, to their credit, has had this for a while because they don't have a, a, a giant OLED screen that they have to power. You know, um, so various uh, Fitbits have had the sleep tracking built in for a while. And a, a, a Fitbit, a good one anyway, like like especially like the the, the Ultas or whatever the uh, um, – you know the, the the smallest ones are they can be um, they can go like a week between charging and what's great about that is that for the sleep tracking you get that data and and they their, their apps isn't as as good as uh, some of the stuff that's available for the Apple Watch um, but it's built in and it's really really nice and so this is one of those things that like obviously we want to get to the place where you can reliably have more than a full day of charge for your Apple Watch so that you can sleep with it reliably and, and charge it or but in the interim, you know, um, I, I I don't hate the idea of having um, this feature built in, um, whether you have to take it off to charge or use multiples. What I'm hoping that they do is that they will continue to update this. It would be really nice. I don't know if the Series 2 Apple Watch is going to get any updates or not, but it seems like, you know, because you can't recycle the Apple Watch, it would be really nice if they were able to release, you know, a, a software feature that would work with whatever the oldest possible model is that it would work on so that people who might have an older watch that is a little bit slow and that they don't want to use day to day, that might not have the, you know, waterproof um, uh, aspect, maybe doesn't have the, you know, built in, you know, um, EKG or whatever, doesn't have a cellular and they could then use that as like their, their sleep watch. That would be kind of cool. No, I think you're dead on. Um, let's let's go down through through some of the the kind of rumors and just talk about it with uh, with the upcoming event. So yeah. another rumor, uh, this was back in August, was uh, Apple is thinking about developing uh, location tag tracking. So yeah. basically, you could hold the Apple, uh, hold the iPhone up, use AR Kit, and it would find uh, like tiles or trackers, which has been a sponsor on Rocket. Basically, finding those around your house with those location trackers. Do you buy this? 
Christina? Do you not? I, I buy it. Um, the what the one thing I'm not clear on is if this is going to be something they make themselves or if this would be like a feature that would work with the existing tile or tracker. Um, a part of me wishes that they would just kind of use work with the existing, you know, Bluetooth um, uh, LE, um, you know, tracking devices that are out there, kind of yeah. like HomeKit. But part of me, you know, realistically thinks that it's Apple and so they want to sell their own little things. But I mean, this would be great because I don't know about you, but like I misplace stuff all the time. And one of my favorite oh, yeah. features on, uh, and, and I love this with Tracker and other things like that is, but like I lose my phone all the time. Yep. And find my phone is the greatest feature ever. And the the find my AirPods feature, it doesn't work as well because if your AirPods haven't been used in a certain period of time, then like it, it's a weird thing. But this would be the perfect thing. Like you put a tile or whatever they call it on your AirPod case. Yeah, no, that's great. I'll buy that in four seconds, like less than four seconds. And yeah, my biggest complaint about the tile is it's so difficult to replace the batteries inside mm-hmm. of them. It's bad for the environment, the way they engineer this. So if Apple can engineer it in a way that solves that problem, I'm all in. If it's just another like uh, disposable piece of technology, I'll have a word or two for them uh, to say on this show. So, okay, another rumor it came out in uh, late August was ceramic and titanium Apple Watch models. And yeah. I think I have a controversial opinion. Okay, on this, what I'll is let your? Con- you go first. No, I no, want to hear you go contra- first. Okay, okay, I mean, okay. I, yeah, I'll go, tell go. I'll yeah, tell, tell us. I understand why. Apple would go put out a more expensive version of this. Like uh, one of the things I've gotten into in this last uh, year is like nice watches, mm-hmm. like Omega, right? Right. So I understand why Apple would want to introduce something in the premium space. Well, but reintroduce. Yeah, reintroduce. But I'm sorry, Christina. It's just the Apple Watch, it's like you can put a shinier case on it, but it's just... It's never going to be something like a really high quality Omega or, yeah, Rolex. or Rolex. It's just yeah. not. No, you're, it's just you're, you're not. Right. And I think, I mean, like, imagine if you're one of those people that brought the really expensive, like, first gen Apple Watch. Oh yeah, you're like, so screwed. How much was that? Twenty thousand or uh, something yeah, yeah, like, 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 like that? Like, yeah, like fifteen thousand dollars or something for the fourteen karat gold one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I thought the ceramic was a good move because it put it at a lower price point, but I still, I have to be honest, I think it's a complete waste of money. I have a nice Omega dress watch that I have. I got vintage. It's probably the nicest thing that I own. I scoured eBay for it forever. And like that's what I wear when I do TV or I need to be dressy. I just don't think an Apple Watch can be like Omega slash Rolex dressing. Am I wrong? You're not wrong. And I think the big reason isn't so much that they couldn't come up with a design that would be timeless enough like that. It's the fact that it it has a lifespan, right? Like there, there is a, there's a finite lifespan on this. Like the, the fact is, is that if you bought the $20,000 Apple watch, um, it doesn't work anymore. It was a, it was a, you know, series zero. It didn't even get the updates that the series one, which had slightly more memory got like it, it went up, I think to, to watch OS, three, maybe, and and then it lost all support. And, um, you know, as somebody who spent $800 on her very first Apple Watch, that was a little bit frustrating, honestly. If I was not in the position that I'm in now, where I basically have, you know, like I get a fitness credit, which covers my watch, or if, if I want to get a new one, I, I would be honest and be like, I don't feel like I got $800 worth of, um, you know, value for the two years that I had my original stainless steel Apple Watch, let alone if I had like a $20,000 one. Um, yeah. So there's like a finite life cycle on those things, even if you had the design that, you know, could be as good, which it's not. So I agree with you there. I, I think what's interesting though, so they had the ceramic and I didn't buy it for the series. Um, they, they did it for the series two and the series three. And I didn't buy it for the series three. I didn't buy a series two watch. Um, that's the only one I didn't get, but I looked at it. I considered it and it was just, um, the price point was just, it was just, there was like a hundred dollars too much for what, I guess my budget was. And I was like, I'm not going to do this. And I was very happy with the stainless steel this year or last year, I guess for the series four, they didn't even have a ceramic option. And so I got the rose gold stainless steel. I would have been happy to get ceramic if they'd had it, but they didn't even have it as an option. So I got the rose gold uh, or gold colored stainless steel, which looks amazing. And I love, Um, I don't know. I would have to see the ceramic I don't know at this point if there is anything that would convince me to spend, 
you know, an extra three or four hundred dollars uh, for for a different you know build. Um, that said. I do think it's interesting that this rumor has started because, you know, they failed when they um, originally positioned the Apple Watch as a fashion device. It did not succeed. Where Apple Watch has become remarkably, phenomenally successful is when they pivoted to fitness and to health. And now that it is a big moneymaker for the company and it's something that a lot of people have and that they're fast enough and the battery life is good enough and, and there's, you know, other apps and there are things you can really do on it that make it valuable, it will be interesting, I think, to see what happens if they do make the decision to reintroduce more fashionable, more high-end materials to see what the market response is. Because I don't know. Like, I personally think that the if you were to do a split of, of what people buy with Apple Watch, I would guess that it's probably 90% buying the sport. And yeah. and then there, there you know, would be the, the other 10% is, is one of the different, you know, alloys. Um, if you add in the ceramic and the titanium to that, you might have a, a slightly different mix, but I don't I don't know if it will be that much broader. But I, I also think maybe the opportunity is here now that the watch has proven itself as both a real business and as like a thing that's going to continue to be a thing where you might have people who say, yeah, you know what? I don't have a problem spending $1,500 on a watch. Um, <sighs> This is my opinion. I bought the stainless steel version for the Series Zero Apple Watch. Same. And I really regret that. Uh, not because of the money, but because it didn't add anything. It was much heavier than the aluminum. And uh, like when I bought when, when I bought subsequent Apple Watches, I've gotten them in black uh, because the aluminum is it's very difficult to distinguish from the stainless steel. Right. And I... I really, I kind of in my mind separate this, like this is my functional thing that I wear like during the day, doing campaign events and anything that's nicer. I wear like a, a real watch too. And just I, our audience is obviously very geeky. Go start reading about classic watches. It oh, is yeah. a really fascinating Thing, like how they came up with, uh, like, uh, just to tell the listeners very quickly, uh, you have when quartz watches came out in the 80s, they figured out a way to produce this thing. It'll send an electric uh, pulse into it, it oscillates at a certain frequency. They figured out how to make it cheaply because they would cut the quartz just close enough, not precision. And then the, the, the chip inside of the quartz watch would actually compensate for the defects in cutting the quartz and would then keep correct time by compensating for that. So it would actually, that's what the chip was for in the 80s uh, quartz watch. Watches. And then when you get into like mechanical watches and you look at the beauty and the mechanisms behind it, go read about the history of the Omega Seamaster. I've just seen mm. this in James Bond movies. And then you start reading about the history of this thing. It's completely awesome. And yeah. spending $1,500 on something that is beautiful, that is going to be something that you could like be an heirloom that you could oh, still yeah. wear proudly 20, 30, 50, 100 years from now. That makes sense to me. Whereas an Apple like ceramic watch, it just seems like I don't mind spending money, but I do mind wasting it. If yeah, that no, makes sense. No, that makes complete sense. And like I said, I mean, I don't know how many they would sell, but I could see. I think what's interesting now, if they especially, because the rumors are that we might not get new watch um, uh, internals, we might just get new like hardware models. And so if we start to go into a a slower upgrade cadence on the watch, and if they kind of reach a certain point where you could reliably say, I can keep this for five years, and the software updates will continue coming, and it will continue working, that I think puts a higher price point potentially in a different way. But you're right. You're never going to have that. This is an heirloom. I can pass it down. Like my mom, um, my dad got her a Rolex for her 40th birthday and she still has it, you know, like 30 years later. And it's, and she's had, you know, the face redone a couple times, you know, got, got a different face with diamonds and whatnot. And it's still a beautiful watch. And like, it will literally work until the end of time, you know, like, right. um, and, and there are, 
um, and, and, you know, omegas and, and certain other types of things are like that too. Like you said, you know, the, the beauty of how that mechanical stuff works, there's a whole fandom and, and, and people who love that, that as much as Johnny Ive and, and Mark Newsom like love watches, that's never going to translate, at least I don't think, into the, the smartwatch realm. Um, so I'm with you. I mean, like, like I said, I don't know how big this market is, but I do think it's interesting that they're potentially re-entering it. I thought it was, I thought it was kind of a sign last year when they were like, we will just keep it at the, at the stainless steel. I've always bought the stainless steel. I I'm with you. I, I didn't get my money's worth on the $800 I spent on the zero, but I do feel like, um, the series three, which I could have sold and made money off of. And certainly with the series four, I liked the material better. Um, the, the, um, material on the face is, is better and, and oh, has, really? has, yeah, it, it's held up better, like to cracks and things like that. That's been like a, a known thing, but I personally liked the gold color a lot. And, and I like, you know, kind of that look, but I don't have an Omega, right? Like I don't have any other watch. This is my only watch. So this is going to be what I wear. Um, and then I'm going to use different bands to dress it up or down, but yeah, I mean, you're you're right. Like, this is not going to be, even if you get a really beautiful ceramic or titanium watch, like, this is not going to be something that um, you'll be able to pass down um, in in five years, let alone, you know, 15 or, or 20 or 50, um, which is kind of disappointing, but it is what it is. I'd love to see, I agree with you, I'd love to see them slow down the upgrade cycle. I think it would just give more value to the people that bought that. Uh, the last version upgrade for it was a really, really solid year it for it. Yeah, And yeah, I, I wish they would just slow that down, but that's just me. Okay, let's go through a few more of these, uh, of these rumors. Uh, another rumor, this was from July, is that iOS, uh, iOS 13 is going to discontinue 3D Touch. I'm a huge fan of 3D Touch. I, I would be crushed if this happened, but I would understand it. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of expecting, it, you know, it's a weird schism now where the only devices that support it are the iPhone X, um, XS, XS Max, um, and I guess some of the older devices that are still in market too. But in terms of like what they currently sell, it's it's the XS and the XS Max. The XR doesn't support it. None of the iPads support it and, and never will because of how that technology works. And then they've been able to build you know, some different things into the the software on iOS to kind of replicate those features. But I'm with you. I love 3D Touch. I use it a lot. Um, it's something that I think um, has been really good, but I'm kind of expecting that the next phone will drop it both for cost and sadly, I think that just because of discoverability and other things, enough people just don't even know about it. You know, like yeah. my mom has had it on, you know, a couple phones now and I guarantee you she's never really used it. I sadly have to agree. Okay, so another rumor, this is from August, is that Apple's next iPad is going to have a triple camera array in it. So um, I adore my iPad Pro. I take it to Same. every single meeting. I don't think I've ever taken a picture that I was serious about with it no, ever. No, there was a time when they used to put basically the same optics in the iPad that they would put on the phones and then they dropped back and stopped doing that. And the thing is, is that I could understand, here's the only way I could see that being useful. And at this point, it doesn't really make sense. Would be, let's say if you were wanting like a really big viewfinder to do 4K video or something and you had really good, you know, sensors on it and you're like, okay, cool, I can use my iPad. It's got a really big battery, big storage space. I can record my video on it and then I can edit on the device too. That's such a small market. I kind of don't get the point. Like at this point, you know, it used to be kind of a joke, people taking photos with their iPad. The only photos I ever take my iPad genuinely are of documents. Like I use it as a scanner. That is it. I do too. Well, okay. So to play devil's advocate on this though, I mean, wouldn't having a really good camera set up in this, I mean, let's just imagine. This, but we used right? to, like they, they used to be the same. Right. And, but if they put like, uh, like the biggest constraint on the iPhone camera getting better in a general sense is the space constraints, right? Right. Like that's why you have the bump on it because they just need those millimeters there. The iPad has so much space in it, which is why they can have these gorgeous speakers. I don't know if they really put in a camera that just blew the iPhone out of the water. Something you could use for a professional photo shoot, for a professional video shoot. I, I kind of think that would be a really good argument for the Pro and iPad Pro. 
I mean, I guess I think the bigger argument for the pro would be if you really are going to be wanting to do a professional photo shoot and whatnot, the bigger thing is the fact that it has the USB-C port and you can now with with iPad OS plug in an external hard drive and access your photos or plug in a card reader and, and drag them directly into whatever app you're using. Like, I think that is more useful. I, I don't disagree in theory. Like, and I think that you could have setups where you're using it as a monitor and the screen is great and capturing you know, great videos and images. I just wonder in practice how often people actually are doing those things. Because um, we used to have better, we're as good, you know, iPhone, uh, iPad cameras as iPhone cameras. And yeah. um, also the, the iPad Pro is really, really thin. There's still a bump. So I don't know. Um, I, I, I wouldn't be opposed to it, but um, I, I, I don't know. It, it doesn't do anything. Like, I'm not buying a new iPad. Um, and I don't know if this would be yeah. the sort of thing that would push me to be like, oh, I'm going to upgrade my iPad because the camera is better. Like, okay. Okay. So, uh, so we have another claim that's coming through that, uh, the OLED models of the next model iPhone are also going to come with triple camera arrays for 2019. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is from April. I'm going to call this one true. Oh yeah. Yeah. The leaks. I think, I think the leaks that we've all seen of the ugly array, I think that's actually exactly, unfortunately what the phone's going to look like. Yeah. How are you feel about the uh, the bigger charger that we're thinking that it's going to move up to an 18-watt charger? Do you believe that one? I mean, I hope so. Yeah, I do too. Uh, you know, it's just, it would be something they could do to make it charge faster. I think all of us would enjoy that. Last, uh, actually, two more. So how do you feel the other rumors coming out is that iPhone is not going to have 5G until at least 2020. I'm yeah. going to call that absolutely true. That's absolutely true. There's no way. Because at this point, I think even the, the note, it's only on one carrier. It's not widespread enough. Apple is always slow to the latest technologies for that stuff. They just bought Intel's wireless business, which is good, but they haven't had time to kind of integrate all that. Um, you know, the iPhone famously didn't get 3G until the iPhone 3G. It got LTE with the iPhone 5 and or the, 4, the 4S. And, um, you know, that was fairly that was late that was at least a year behind um andrew to that point so yeah i'm I'm, i do not expect 5g at all 5g you know we should really cover this uh more on rocket sometime it's uh uh you know it's so finicky it's so reliant on line of sight with this uh and you know as far as infrastructure they're really gonna have to put nodes up absolutely Everywhere. everywhere to have it work. And when it does work, it's going to be amazing. But until then, uh, I, I really cannot think of a, of a technology example where I'm like, you know, Apple, take your time on that. The power drain is just too big and it's just too finicky. Honestly, honestly, LTE was a good example of that. And and that it didn't have the line of sight problems, but it had the same thing where it wasn't, the infrastructure wasn't there when they could have conceivably, you know, put it out and waiting was a really good thing because, um, you know, by the time it came out, it was more widespread. You were actually able to use it. You were able to get faster speeds versus having the power drain, like you said, if you've got this, this you know, extra, you know, um, you know radio um, uh, signal that's trying to go out and find things. Also, at this point, even though I agree with you, like, we should definitely do a much deeper dive on 5G. The potential is great, but so much of it right now is complete and utter snake oil. You know, it's literally just like a fake marketing thing that they're putting on the phones that it's it will be at least 2020 before people will reliably be able to understand what the potential is. And even then that's only going to be like the very first kind of era, kind of like when 3G came out and the first kind of revisions were fast compared to what, you know, we had before, but we're not, you know, um, the, the, uh, the full capacity. So strongly agree. And face ID, I think that's uh, improved face ID. I think that's absolutely true. Face ID is due for an upgrade. It's good, but it's not perfect. Yeah, you're right. Although, you know what I have noticed is it's, it's gotten better. Like this has been really interesting. So my biggest complaint with face ID, because I'm lazy, is that I often look at my phone when I'm laying on my side and I hate having to, you know, move my head up and then unlock my phone. It has started, it started a couple, probably started about six, seven weeks ago, I noticed this. I don't have to move my head, really. <laughs> like, it's gotten to the point, either it has learned my face um, on the pillow, which would be amazing, or the model has, you know, algamated or whatnot. But it has gotten to the point where I don't have to move my head off the pillow as often, which means I don't have to sit up, um, which is brilliant for the lazy. So um, I actually think Face ID is great. But yeah, I'm with you. I, I would love to see even more improvements. Um, also around security, I would 
I really want um, as good a space ideas, and I know that there are ways you can turn it off. I would love if there was a gesture or if there was a Siri command or something that I could say, or maybe even like a location-aware thing where it's like, when I'm in the airport, disable face ID. I love it. I think that's a great idea. Keep it, Yeah, that would be amazing. That, yeah, no, that's a good idea. Bree, what are you up to this week? So I am stopping a gun store from opening in Dedham. Uh, Hell yeah. So uh, there is a uh, uh, just a terrible, terrible store. Like, it's one thing. Like, I come from the South. I'm not a gun foe, but uh, this is a guy that has the most crude, sexist Instagram you could possibly imagine. And he's rolling into my town where I just bought a house trying to sell uh, assault weapons uh, right next to a playground. And the community is up in arms about that. So Frank, who is a legal professional, went through the Dedham bylaws and found a million ways that this store breaks the parking laws for our town. So we are going to present that to the town this week in an epic throwdown with like printed out charts and diagrams and references to our town bylaws. So we're going to go get that shut down. So that's what I'm up to. Awesome. I love it so much. So yep. I'm actually going um, to XOXO in Portland this oh, weekend. Oh, envy. Are yeah, you speaking? Uh, I'm not. I'm not. I've, I've never uh, had the um, uh, honor of speaking. Uh, that would genuinely be like the greatest honor ever. Um, but I go almost every year to the conference. I think this will be my fifth one. And um, it's my absolute favorite conference ever. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I already know that some listeners um, who I've kind of seen on, on Twitter um, will, will be there. If you see me, obviously, Rocket Rules apply. I would love to see you um, at, if you're there for the conference or the festival or, or both. Um, and so I'm, I, I can't wait. Um, I'm really, really excited. This is like my thing that I do for myself every year. And um, I'm, I'm really excited. They should have you speak. Like they can't do any better than Christian Warren, honestly. So that's very nice. <laughs> Bree, where can we find you online? You can find me at Brianna Wu on Twitter, developer Brianna Wu on Facebook. If you want to support my campaign for Congress, you can do that by going to supportbrianna.com. Great. And you can find me at film underscore girl on the Twitters and the Instagrams. And you can find the videos that I do at work at youtube.com slash Microsoft developer. And you can find Simone at Doom Quasar on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, she might not be here, but we love her. And uh, be sure to check out uh, uh, Rachel Williams's book, My Friend Anna. And uh, thank you to Squarespace and ExpressVPN. If you liked this episode of the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, or wherever uh, you get your podcasts and tell all of your friends about Rocket. This episode of Rocket is terminated. Terminated. <laughs>